Amen. Well, it'd be my joy if you would join me in Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, we've come to the point of where we're at the cross, the last moments, the last seconds of Jesus's life. Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 44. This is the most important moments of all eternity, and, and this is the most important moments of our week where we get to hear God's word together as God's people. And so every time we hear God's word together as God's people, we should be asking a couple questions. One thing we should ask is, what does this word say to me? But we should also every week be asking, what does God's word say to us as God's people? So this is what we read here in Luke chapter 23. It was, not about, it was now about the sixth hour. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching these things. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that in this moment you would help us see Jesus. That you would help us see the finished work of Jesus, that when he says, it is finished, it is really finished. And that, Lord, in his finished work, we would, we would receive the, the love and the grace and the welcome that can only come through him. Lord, you do that for all that are here today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the darkest day that you've ever experienced? What's the hardest moment that you've ever known in your life. Now, I wouldn't even begin to think that I know or I even understand every situation in here, this room. Like, I, I, I didn't live the darkest day that you've ever lived. And I haven't experienced your hardest moment. Yet, I do know what goes on in the heart of the sufferer on the darkest day. I know what it's like to ask the question, why? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my friends? Why is this happening to my family? I know what it's like to feel the frustration in your heart welling up inside saying, this ought not be. This is not right. This is crushing me. I've even wondered in my heart some of the questions that you've wondered. Is, is the Lord good? Is the Lord really faithful? Can He be trusted? This morning we come to the darkest day of all time in Luke 23. The darkest day in the history of the world. We come to the saddest seconds in the gospel the saddest seconds of all eternity. If there were a headline in Jerusalem on that day, it would have said, this ought not be, this is not right. 
all other events that have ever happened. Think about it. Earthquakes, tsunamis, 9-11, even school shootings. They're all tragic. They're all terrible, but nothing comes close to the darkness of this day. Every single person who's standing there seems to get it. The centurion soldier, this Roman soldier in verse 47, who, who hears Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Who, who witnessed Jesus tell a criminal, today you will be with me in paradise. Who would have been there that day experiencing the darkness? Who, who would have been just feet away from Jesus saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Did you see his natural reaction was to say he is innocent and to praise God? His natural reaction was to say this man is righteous. This ought not be is what he was saying. Even the crowds who the Bible says in verse 48 came to see a spectacle. It's like they had bought a ticket to a show to see Jesus being executed. Even, the Bible says, they walk away sad, beating their breasts, expressing this ought not be. Those closest to Jesus, his friends, his acquaintances, the women who knew him well, they stand at a distance, it says, in silence. They're, they're numb. They're in a fog wondering, how could this be? This is the saddest day, the darkest day. Yet listen, church, God is not in the dark. It's a silent day, but God is not silent. God is always, listen to me, church, God is always doing more than you can see. God is always doing more than you can see, more than you can measure in the moment. God is always working all things together for our good and for His glory. And never more is that true than in the death of His one and only Son. For on the darkest day of all time, the Lord is bringing about His greatest good on the darkest day. So I want us to see this morning, what's God doing that, that maybe they couldn't see standing around that cross? If we were there, we couldn't see standing around that cross. But what is God doing on the darkest day? Well, the first thing we see is that the wrath of God that should have fallen on us fell on Jesus that day. Again, this is probably more ways than once that one, the darkest day of all Time and all creation, and it, and it appears in this passage like all creation wants to comment on the death of its creator. Matthew, Mark, Luke, all the gospels tell us that darkness fell over all the land. So imagine this from it says from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. Try to picture this in your mind. That means from noon until three o'clock. From noon until 3 p.m., the, the brightest part of the day, the, the highest point of the sun, and the lights go out. Or as verse 45 states, the sun's light failed. 
it's clear that this is not a natural event. This is a supernatural act of God. The Bible says it's God's judgment. For, for in the Old Testament, darkness and gloom was promised during the day of the Lord, the day that God's judgment would come. Would come. Darkness and gloom was promised. The day of the Lord was the promised day that the Lord would pour out His wrath on all sinners. The, the chosen day where the nations would have to drink down the cup of God's divine judgment down to its last drops. We read this in Zephaniah. We see it in Joel chapter 2, but maybe most clearly we see it in Amos chapter 8 verse 9 to 10. I want you all to think about these words from Amos chapter 8. This was written 800 years before Jesus, before this day at the cross, 800 years before. And it says this, And on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. That's this day. It's no more clear that this is the day at the cross. See, the darkness is a clear picture of God's holy wrath falling on sinners who deserve it. However, the good news of the gospel is that the wrath of God that should have fallen on us, that we fully deserve to fall on us because we're sinners, fell fully on Jesus in our place. Fully on Jesus on the cross in our place. I mean, just try to grasp the darkness. Try to put yourself there at the cross on that day and feel what the darkness means. Because the centurion, the Roman soldier, he cries out because he gets it. Certainly this man was innocent. The crowds were right to, to beat their breasts and to weep because this should not have fallen on Jesus. God's wrath should have fallen on them for their sins and, and it should have fallen on me for my sins and it should have fallen on you for your sins but hallelujah the darkest day that you could have ever experienced that you should have experienced under god's judgment was experienced by jesus in your place think about that if you're here this Today, and you're overwhelmed, and you're anxious, and you're depressed, and, and you're undone. For those who are in Jesus, your hardest day has already been done in Jesus. It's over completely. Your hardest day has already been lived at the cross through Jesus. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9 through 10. I read it a couple weeks ago, and it's been such a comfort for me, it says this, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Or the 
the gospel exhale that comes from Romans chapter 8. This great gospel exhale that says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As one of my good friends, Jordan Thomas says, even if God wanted to condemn you, he couldn't. It's impossible because the wrath that you deserve already fell on Jesus. You were spared from the darkest day because Jesus gave his one and only son. However, this morning, if you're here and you're not in Jesus Christ, you haven't put your faith, you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, the, the worst days are still to come. If you've never turned from your sins, repented of your sins, and ran to Jesus, the wrath that Jesus took for His people, you will experience forever in hell. So the good news for Christians, the good news for those who believe in Jesus, this is as bad as it's going to get. You have eternal glory, eternal joy waiting for you in heaven. But for those who are not in Christ, this life is as good as it gets. Your worst days are, are ahead of you. You have an eternity waiting in hell unless today you would turn. Unless today you would turn from your sins and you would trust in Jesus who would die on the cross in your place and treasure Him above everything, you will have then eternal joy in Jesus. This morning we see that the wrath that we deserve, Jesus, it fell on Jesus in our place. Second of all, the presence of God that was kept from us was granted to us through Jesus. One of the saddest realities, probably for all his friends watching that day, was that Jesus was about to be gone forever. For days, Jesus had been walking with them and eating with them around the table and teaching them. And, and he'd, they'd watched him heal people, but now he was going to be gone. He was about to breathe his last breath. From, from where they're standing, they see that he will no longer be with them. His presence will be gone forever. Yet one detail of Jesus' death that they couldn't see around the cross was not taking place at the cross. It was taking place at the temple. Do you notice in verse 45 that it says this, And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. That might seem like a strange detail for Luke to throw in here at the middle of the cross. Like an, it's an odd time to talk about temple decor Right now when Jesus is dying on the cross. Except for the fact that every Jew knew exactly what Luke meant when it said the curtain. The curtain was torn in two. See, if you'd ever visited the temple, the temple in Jerusalem was the place where God had chosen to dwell among his people. But everyone knew that the temple was very restrictive. 
It was very limited on where you could go and where you couldn't go in the temple. See, when you walked up to the temple mount, the first place you came to was the outer court of the Gentiles. That was as far as a non-Jew could go. That's the only place that someone from the nations could come and worship God and pray to God. This is where Jesus would have flipped over the tables. Next, you come to the court of women. This was as far as the Jewish women were allowed to go. In the Gospels, this is where Simeon and and Anna first laid eyes on Jesus. Where the widow brought her offering, where Jesus spent most of his time in the temple. Then there was a court, a closer court, court for Jewish men, and then a further court in where only the priests could go. And think about this. This was all outside of the temple structure. This is, if if you're not a priest, you could not go any further into the temple. You were not allowed in, no trespassing allowed in the temple. If you were to enter inside the temple, though, there was the holy place. The place where only select priests would minister day by day by burning incense, by offering worship and praise and sacrifices to the Lord. However, further in, in the innermost part of the temple was the most holy place, the holy of holies. This is the place This is the place where the Ark of the Covenant was. This is the place where God's presence was said to dwell among his people. And the only person, the only person who could go into the Holy of Holies was the high priest. And he could only go one day of the year. He could only go one day of the year on the Day of Atonement to make sacrifices to make one sacrifice to for the people of God to God. And the only thing that separates the holy place from the most holy place, the holy of holies, was a 60-foot curtain. A 60-foot curtain. This room that we're in, the peak of it's about 30 feet. So you think double the size of this room was a 60-foot curtain curtain four inches thick it's a visible picture a a daily reminder of how sinners since eden had been separated from god's presence because of their sin they have been separated from a holy god because we are sinners and and however since the garden we've been trying to get back into eden trying to get back into God's presence again. That's all of our hearts since the garden. We've been longing to get back into God's presence, to walk with Him in the cool of the day, to get back to feeling fully free and alive in His presence, to know the joy of being with God again. And on this day, what seems to be the saddest day of all time Jesus enters in and makes a sacrifice once and for all, the writer of Hebrews says, on the cross. 
And the Bible says the curtain which separated sinners from a holy God's presence was torn in two from top to bottom. It was removed forever, all because of the blood of Jesus. All because of the blood of Jesus, 60 foot high, four inches thick, torn in two so that we might now enter in through the blood of Jesus into the presence of God. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10. Listen to our gospel reality, brothers and sisters. Listen to this. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, what do we do now? Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Brothers and sisters, we have been given full access, VIP access into God's presence. The gospel is an internal, an eternal invitation to come, to come dwell in God's presence forever, only through the blood of Jesus, only through Jesus. You are welcomed in to God's presence forever. It's been given to us only because of the blood of Jesus. Listen, it's not because you were good. It's not because you were nice. It's not because you got your life together. It's not because you made an offering. It's not because you performed well. It's not because you tried harder, because you went to church. You can't earn access to the presence of God. You're only given access through the blood of Jesus. And he's given us access. And listen, church, there is nothing you can do to earn access. And listen, there's nothing you can do to lose access to the presence of God. That's good news. There's nothing you can do to earn it, and there's nothing you can do to lose it. Listen, Jesus is an all-sufficient Savior. And his precious blood is more than enough to cover all your past sins and more than enough to cover all your present sins and more than enough to cover all your future sins. So once the curtain was torn in two, Jesus has welcomed sinners into his presence forever. Your greatest sin cannot sew back up that curtain that Jesus tore in two. So let us, church, draw near with full assurance, with all our sins forgiven, with all our shame covered. Listen, this might have seemed like the saddest day for those who thought Jesus was gone forever. Yet, for those who believe in Jesus, the, the cross leads to eternal joy in his presence. Eternal joy. In his presence. 
Finally, we see the trust in God that's hard for us. It's secured for us in Jesus. The trust in God that's hard for us is secured for us in Jesus. In this passage, we see now the final words at the cross. The final words that Jesus spoke at the cross before his death. It's an echo, if you know where this passage comes from, it's an echo from David's lips in Psalm 31, verse 5. And in Psalm 31, the original context is there is a righteous sufferer named David who longs to be delivered from his enemy and who puts all his trust in the hands of his God. And so in that psalm, David cries out, Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Into your hand I commit my spirit. This is someone who is suffering, someone who's begging the Lord to rescue him speedily. Come to my rescue, Lord. And yet in the midst of his suffering, he can say with confidence, into your hands I commit my spirit. You are a faithful God. I can fully trust in you because you are my redeemer. And if you've ever read the Old Testament, you will see that David was rescued again and again and again from all his enemies, from a lion and from a bear and from Saul and from the Philistines, from everyone that he comes in contact. God rescues David. Yet we come to the cross and we see the most righteous sufferer the one who seven times in the book of luke is called innocent and he's hanging there on the cross crying father into your hands i commit my spirit father you're faithful father i trust you but on this day it seems like the heavenly father fails his son it seems in this moment Like the faithful God who helped David fails to be faithful to the most righteous one of all. Jesus, who trusts himself in that moment fully to the Father, who says, I commit my spirit unto you, Father, is left all alone. And the Bible says he breathes his final breath. The righteous sufferer wasn't delivered on his darkest day from his enemy, but he dies as a criminal. Our hearts, again, should cry out. Our hearts should join the centurion and join the crowds and join his friends saying, this ought not be. This is not right. For Jesus is righteous. Jesus is holy. Jesus is perfect. Jesus cries out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I give you my life. I trust you. And if this was the end of the story, if the righteous sufferer was left for dead in the grave, then you and I don't have any hope. You and I have zero reason to believe that he would deliver us if he wouldn't deliver the righteous one, the perfect son. Because we're unrighteous. 
we too should leave here today if this is the case. Just like the crowds beating our breasts, for if the righteous Son of God was not delivered, you have no reason to think you would be delivered. But praise the Lord that this is not the end of the story, church. This is not the end of the story for Jesus, and that means it's not the end of the story for us. For the Father did not leave Jesus in the grave, but we know that Jesus, He raised up. He rescued Him from the grave. He rescued Him from the tomb so that you too could be raised. So that we too could be redeemed. So that you could be rescued forever in Him. Listen, if if Jesus the righteous was not raised from the grave, what is your hope as a sinner? But since Jesus was raised from the grave by the Father, we too, with all our hearts, can say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, with all of my life, I can give you everything. Father, I trust you, for you are faithful. You are always faithful. Father, you always have and always do what's right. Because we saw you raise Jesus. Lord, I know that you will be faithful to me. Listen, we're not trying to pray to an impersonal God that we hope might listen to us, that we hope might show us mercy. We're praying to a good Father who in His goodness gave us His one and only Son on the cross who now delights to hear and rejoice and answer over us forever. Jesus didn't show us how to tr- just show us how to trust on the cross. Jesus secured our trust on the cross. What seemed like complete defeat on the cross in that moment, the Lord was bringing an eternal victory. When the Lord looked as if he was unfaithful, our e- on Easter morning the Lord proved to be faithful not just on Easter but forever for his people. This morning, brothers and sisters, hear me when I say the gospel is the good news that God not only has taken all your sins, but he's also worthy of all of your life, all of your trust, to cast all yourself on him. If you've ever read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you You might remember the night that Aslan gave himself over to the witch who placed himself under the deeper magic, who bore the curse in the place of a traitor. Remember that night if you've read the story? Remember how on that night up on the stone table when Aslan was being killed, how Susan and Lucy, how they snuck up so they could see what was going on. And how they watched as they muzzled Aslan, as they mocked him, as they tore out his hair from this great lion, and they killed him on the stone table. And if you'll remember that after the mob leaves, Susan and Lucy sneak up to the table 
And in tears, they pull off his muzzle. And they brush what is left of his beautiful hair. As Aslan's body just laid lifeless on the stone table. And listen to how C.S. Lewis describes that moment in the eyes of Susan and Lucy, in the hearts of Susan and Lucy. He says, I hope no one who reads this book has been quite as miserable as Susan and Lucy were that night. But if you have been, if you've been up all night and cried till you have no more tears left in you, you will know that there comes in the end a sort of quietness. You feel as if nothing was ever going to happen again. You feel as if nothing was ever going to happen again. Some of you all have been in that quietness. Sometimes it feels like nothing will ever happen again. On the darkest day, it seems like the sun will never shine again. But what Susan and Lucy didn't know in that moment is that Aslan will roar again. And what the crowds could not see on that darkest day is that Jesus was going to rise again. They couldn't see Sunday from where they were standing. They couldn't see Sunday from the darkest day. But on Sunday morning, it's Sunday morning that makes Good Friday truly good. Truly good forever for God's people. Listen, church, the only thing that the Lord is not doing right now is nothing. The only thing that God is not doing right now is nothing. He's always doing more than you can see. He's always doing more than you can measure. He's working all things together for your good, for His glory, and for all of heaven's joy forever. We see this most clearly on the day when Jesus took our place. We see this most clearly on the darkest day. As Jesus tore the curtain into and welcomed sinners like you and me into his joy to trust him forever. Would you pray with me? Father, I, I ask, Lord, that you would work that wondrous miracle in all our hearts, Lord, that we would behold the beauty of our Savior we would hold, behold the beauty of a Savior who would die in our place, bearing our sins on the cross, taking God's wrath for us so that we might be forgiven forever. Lord, that we would behold the beauty of a Savior whose body would be broken, who would be crushed on the cross so that the curtain would be torn in two and we can be welcomed into your holy presence. No longer afraid, but Lord, welcomed in because of the blood of Jesus. Fully free, fully forgiven. All our sins, past, present, future, done forever. Covered in the righteousness of Christ.
And that, Lord, we would see in our beautiful Savior not only how to trust, but, Lord, how through his death and resurrection he has secured the trust of his people forever. So that, Lord, we can say with all our hearts, Father, you are faithful. Father, I trust you. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, my life, my all. Lord, all because of the cross of Jesus. Love so amazing. Love so divine. Lord, I pray this morning if there's someone here that does not know the amazing sacrifice of Jesus that has never turned from their sins to run and trust in Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts in this moment, that they might turn from their sins and trust in Jesus and cling to the only Savior, Jesus Christ, and treasure Him and find eternal joy in Him forever. Lord, would you do that for your glory And for our good and our joy, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.